This is episode 163 for May 15th, 2020 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. We hope it's useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? Dependence from Inhabit. Inhabit is working hard to brand themselves with a particular shade of orange, and I guess I should be glad that they're obvious enough about it for me to notice. The only thing worse than a bad marketer is a good one? I don't know. Anyway, this is an announcement of their most recent edition of their newsletter and the contents thereof. First, there is an interview with artist, writer, researcher Ingrid Burrington. There is, however, no explanation about why this person or their work or perspective is relevant to anarchists or even communists. Then there's a survey of rural organizers, which at least mentions anarchist jargon. And finally, a reading list on COVID-19. The market is not enough! From Revolution Nowhere or the other left.noblogs.org, the anarcho-communist, quote, personal blog for writing about working class organizing action and history, unquote. The author of said blog also runs the Revolution Nowhere YouTube channel, <clears throat> which currently includes a lone video on whether revolutionaries should support Corbyn. Are you getting the picture? This article is a simple teardown of market anarchism and economic thinking. The author argues that market anarchism is rising in popularity and so requires updated arguments against it instead of the 19th century arguments against it that already existed. I'm not sure that either of those things are true, but I'm also all for people developing and expressing their own arguments, both as a way to get to know folks and sometimes to learn more about what they're talking about. Quote, We know that the rich will use brutal and extreme measures to defend their wealth. Knowing this, at some point a big confrontation with them is inevitable there will be fighting and desperate food shortages. What is the best system of production and distribution to use then? There won't be time to start up the new currencies or mutual credit banks that market anarchists talk about, but we'll need childcare and food from day one. What better way to coordinate food than to have each neighborhood express their needs to producers and ask transport workers to deliver it on the basis of mutual aid, unquote. So as typical of red anarchists, the enemy is clear cut and economically distinct and social institutions will more or less stay the same. Still, it's clear, so we know where we are. Anarchy into the Maelstrom from Libertarian Labyrinth by Sean Wilder. I have talked about Sean's writings before, obviously. He and Barry Pateman are fantastic anarchist historians with really different strengths who both strongly commit to their respective threads of the beautiful idea. Here, Sean does that thing that more of us could be doing, taking a challenge posed by whatever corner of the world is our favorite and walking anarchy through it with imagination and passion. Marxists attempt rigor by keeping a finger on economics and so-called hard sciences. Many anarchists attempt rigor by focusing on action rather than on ideas. Historians are rigorous by attending to all the information they can get on their given bit of history and playing it out as much as they can. Quote, we must always, of course, ask ourselves to what extent the extremism in these expressions is also rhetorical. De Jacques was explicit in embracing scandal as at least one of his muses, and Proudhon, if less open about the matter, certainly didn't shy away from provocation. But I think our interpretive choices are fairly simple. To the extent that the more extreme invocations of anarchy are simply rhetorical, the project in which they are presumably in service seems reducible to some form of good government, but without any very clear standard by which to judge the goodness. 
This is the problem faced by all those who are presently attempting to embrace legitimate authority or justified hierarchy, but without, it seems, any means of knowing how authority could be deemed legitimate or hierarchy justified, and certainly without any clearly anarchistic means. If, on the other hand, we take the strong distinctions seriously, archy or anarchy, no middle ground, we may find our project thwarted by various difficulties, but we can at least say that we clearly have a project distinct from the project of government and legislation, from the organization of society into hierarchies governed by various presumed authorities." Unquote. That might not have been the best section to quote, but it's all rich. On the closure of Katerschmeid and our handling of open spaces, from squat.net, apparently a European site that, quote, provides websites, agenda, email, and mailing lists for squatters and related projects since 1997. A volunteer and non-profit-based group building an autonomous infrastructure, unquote. This is a self-critical report on the closing of the squat at Katerschmeide, apparently because the squatters were not prepared for the COP response and or how to deal with pandemic-related hygiene in such a situation. Quote, Everyone has to deal with a situation in which the guidelines of the state are apparently accepted without any resistance, even by most critically thinking people. Adaptability to the new order of things is sometimes considered necessary, but also the political-slash-movement response and resistance to the demands they want to impose on us is equally needed. Understanding the political weight of our actions and the political responsibility of our answers, it continues to trouble us the space that repression is winning day by day. We continue to believe that everyone can decide for themselves where they want to go, how long they want to walk, how long they want to sit in the park, who they want to sit with in the park. Meanwhile, acting in a solidaric fashion cannot mean to simply ignore the needs of others, whether in a state of emergency or without. That's why we try to develop new strategies and political responses against our oppressors. Responses that would be able to support and defend our general political proposal for a society of solidarity, freedom, and equality." Unquote. This article raises the ongoing question of what kind of action makes sense given the specifics of the time. We all know that it's always the poorest and least enfranchised that are hardest hit by these crises. So, what do we do about it? New writings and update from Anarchist Prisoner, Zanachtli, from AMW English. This is a statement of outrage by Zanachtli and a summary of his current mistreatment by the prison administration. Quote, it is clear he is being subjected to these punitive assignments as part of prison repression to keep him further isolated, now in a prison within a prison, and in a psychiatric ward, also housing many intellectually disabled people under intense psychotropic drugged states in a cell block almost daily gassed with chemical agents, repeated instances of prisoner suicides, and repeated suspension of all activities, including denial of daily showers and the proper cleaning of the cell block by support service prisoners during these emergency coronavirus times, necessitating proper hygiene and cleanliness." Unquote. Local Autonomous Network Statement on the Alleged Anarchist Crackdown in the Philippines from Anarchists Worldwide. Last week, we had a story from the Philippines using scary language and storytelling about Duterte targeting Philippines anarchists. This week, we get a rebuttal from other anarchists in the Philippines. Quote, Now, based on our inquiries about the report of the anarchist crackdown and killings in the Philippines, we have not been able to confirm the details behind the Philippines, the continuing crackdown on anarchists. The details on the report seems unreliable. We have come to the conclusion that the report is fake news and has no truth in it. This is according to people who know the writers behind the report. The people who wrote the report have no connection at all with local autonomous network, nor have they had any involvement in anarchist projects or initiatives. 
We have tried to reach out to them and to make conversation with them to clarify things and with the intention to make solidarity actions with them, but they instead became defensive. We have also found that before this report was made, there have been multiple letters of appeal coming from the writers of the report asking people abroad for financial support. With the clear inaccuracy of the report coupled with solicitation for financial support, we then question the motives of people behind the report." Unquote. This latter story has apparently caused sites to remove the initial call for support. Is anyone else irritated by the silent removal of stories instead of the clarification that there are conflicting stories? Just me? Okay. The Rebels Will Return from Network23.org, written by the same person who wrote Anarchists Against Freedom, a piece that was on ANews a week ago or so. This continues the semi-coherent, frustrated rant about the problems of anarchy in England. I would tend to be sympathetic, since what I know of the scene there seems very sad, but this person just wants more actions and quotes Chomsky too much. Also, while, again, sympathetic on some level, I have learned to be very suspicious of Brits who disdain identity politics as their history lends itself strongly to what I would call an intense overemphasis on class, which caters too much to Marxist economic determinism. You heard it here first, folks. Quote, Noam Chomsky has spoken about the incomprehensible gibberish that comes out of left-wing intellectual movements, which he described as just impossible to understand. There are two obvious consequences to this relentless advance of the anarchist scene into an intellectual and political dead end. Firstly, the people it recruits will be those who are prepared to uncritically conform to its one-dimensional new think, who are willing to surrender their own independence of thought and swallow what Chomsky called the latest version of postmodern this and that. It now turns out at this historical moment that these are exactly the kind of people who are eager to accept whatever version of the truth is presented to them by authority figures." Unquote. So easy to say. They hate our freedoms. Oh yeah. The way we get through this is together. The rise of mutual aid under coronavirus from The Guardian UK by Re Rebecca Solnit. The Solnits are always here to say that anarchists are cuddly share bears. This is an extensive piece along just those lines that seems like it could have been lifted a whole cloth from pieces that were being written after Hurricane Katrina. Quote, One of the biggest cliches about disasters is that they reveal civilization as a thin veneer beneath which lies brutal human nature. From this perspective, the best we can hope for from most people under crisis is selfish indifference. At worst, they will swiftly turn to violence. Our worst instincts must be repressed. This becomes a justification for authoritarianism and heavy-handed policing. But studies of historical disasters have shown that this is not how most people actually behave. They are nearly always selfish and destructive people, and they are often in power because we have created systems that reward that kind of personality and those principles. But the great majority of people in ordinary disasters behave in ways that are anything but selfish, and if we're stuck with veneer as a metaphor, then it peels off to reveal a lot of creative and generous altruism and brilliant grassroots organizing. With the global pandemic, these empathic urges and actions are wider and deeper and more consequential than ever." Unquote. For those who are stubborn players, feel free to partake in our drinking game. Mutual aid, mutual aid, mutual aid. <laughs> Positive Anarchy and Collective Force from the Libertarian Labyrinth by Sean Wilbur. Two pieces by Sean this week, very nice. Quote, we have opposed anarchy and authority, anarchy and hierarchy, anarchism and governmentalism, and if we sometimes have trouble giving authority a clear definition, we know that in authoritarian systems, someone sooner or later lays down the law, and we can describe in considerable detail the various norms and institutions that go with the establishment of legal and governmental order. 
If we don't naturalize legal order, then presumably the fact that, in anarchy, nobody ever lays down the law is not really positive or negative, any more than the single observation tells us much about the desirability or undesirability of the non-governmental arrangements that might emerge. So the first step is obviously to resist the naturalization, to consider the possibility that the water rushing into the ship of state is not disaster and certain death, but instead some manifestation of positive anarchy, liberty free from all its shackles, superstitions, prejudices, sophistries, usury, authority. It is reciprocal liberty and not limited liberty. Liberty, not the daughter, but the mother of order." Unquote. Quote, the small a emphasis on anarchy in everyday life, the attempt to create milieu libre in the midst of authoritarian society and similar approaches, take us some of the way toward identifying social mechanisms and relations with a distinctly anarchistic character. But it is still probably the case that we recognize them primarily by the absence of other mechanisms and relations. But again, this is clearly a step in the right direction. Unquote. Phoenix 2 Trial 7th Hearing from Anarchist Black Cross CZ. A couple of lines to update about the trial of four anarchists and an environmentalist who face three to ten years in prison. Do solidarity actions. For those paying attention, this kind of super short announcement is not as helpful as having background information, at least hyperlinked for people who haven't heard of the trial before or who have been overwhelmed by trials of anarchists around the world. Just saying, basic posting skills, yo. Audio and video. Wayne Price on anarchism and Marxist economics. Hour and four minutes from Final Straw. This episode starts out with Sean Swain, yay, 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 then moves into an interview with red, red, red anarchist Wayne Price. Bursts and Price discuss the oh-so-contemporary concept of the proletariat, quote, having a chance during this economic freeze to fight against reimposition of wide-scale capitalist, eco-side-by-building libertarian, anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, and heterogeneous future societies in the shell of the old, unquote. I don't really care that people who think that visions of 19th century industrial utopias are relevant in the 21st century, but it is pretty jarring to hear someone still claiming that the only real problem with industrial society is capitalism's push to profit. Oh, Wayne. Wayne. June on the Anarchist Cinema, Green Anarchy, from theanarchistcinema.org. A short announcement from a relatively new anarchist film screening and discussion site presenting films of interest to those with a green bend. Not a lot of information in the announcement or the actual site, but they do have a review section, and I am definitely pro-anarchists engaging with the media they consume. Primal Anarchy Podcast 24, Coronavirus and Collapse. An hour and 40 minutes from Primal Anarchy. How does Kevin Tucker feel almost two hours of audio? I'm still really not sure, as listening to this episode put me in a kind of boredom trance. But here are some details that made it through the fog. Kevin is now hosting this podcast with his partner, and boy, let me tell you, they are gross together. The relationship between hosts can definitely be an interesting piece of an overall project when the two challenge and question each other, but in this case, KT and co-host Natasha's fawning over each other is just super cringe. Moving on, KT also brings up what appears to be his new favorite snarl word, narcissism. What's wrong with Trump? What's wrong with lockdown protesters? What's mostly, what's mostly wrong with Civ? Narcissism which happens to be a, quote, clinical condition, unquote, in Kevin's very objective opinion, so I know that I believe him. KT and company also discuss Collapse, KT's new book that will actually be several important books, and generally how super scary the virus is, how dumb protesters are, despite also highlighting the dreadful urgency with which we need to drop Western thought. Introducing the Free Eric King Playlist from Anarchist Black Cross Federation. 
The music on this playlist may not be your favorite, but then again, I'm not sure that's the point. Quote, a list of songs and artists compiled by vegan anarchist political prisoner Eric King, compiled from his prison cell where he's facing an additional 20 years on trumped-up charges. Enjoy the songs, read about and write to Eric, and let's bring him home where he belongs, unquote. As I imagine folks move away from traditional analog forms of prisoner support, it's nice to see creative new ways of getting info out there on folks who are locked up. This also contains a link to Eric's legal defense fundraiser, Support an Anarchist Prisoner Today. The Unquiet Dead Chapter 7 audio zine. Three hours and 14 minutes from Resonance Audio. Okay, so I didn't listen to a three-hour audiobook for you people, and I apologize. But I did read the first 10 pages of this piece, and I'm left feeling perplexed. The portion I read revolves entirely around the image of Friedrich Nietzsche as a, quote, would-be ally, unquote, to Jews. What follows is a drawn-out explanation of dialogue between the author and academic responses to accusations of anti-Semitism leveled against Nietzsche. As someone who aspires to have an interest in philosophy, this piece is not particularly compelling, both because of the hilarious I.D. Paul accusation that a 19th century German philosopher was a bad ally, and because I don't look to philosophy for pure, completely morally infallible figures or ideas. My interest lies more in what we can take from different schools of thought, leaving the big men to sleep. Radio Anarchism Era Video 18, My Voice is Coming from Afghanistan. Two minutes from ASR Anarchism. This is a poem from an Afghan anarchist. Quote, My voice is coming from Afghanistan, from a country whose people are drowning in fire and blood. The situation here is becoming worse day by day. From Balkh to Kandahar and from Herat to Nangarhar, the Afghan people are burning. Bloodshed is everywhere and massacres are taking place. What are we not suffering from? From hunger to unemployment, from massacres to violence against women or the destroyed world of children, and the silence of intellectuals. Seeing the entire situation, I am ashamed for myself. I am ashamed and I am tormented that I have seen the tears of our mothers, fathers, and children, but I cannot do anything. And this is very painful for me. I am talking about Afghanistan. I am talking about that restless and wounded land. My heart is on fire. Topic of the week. Winners, losers, and hmm? A recent topic of the week got me thinking about what I see as A News's purpose. I've heard people say that humans are a storytelling animal, and generalizations on human nature aside, I ultimately see A News as a storytelling platform. I see it as a place for people to share a variety of stories about both those people who call themselves anarchists and those people who simply act anarchically. Yet so often those stories are formed by the most basic of structures, the binary of victory, or at least implicitly defeat. The plots are familiar. Our action went well, our group is strong, humans are good, our cause is righteous, we wield real power. But on the other side of these stories are those statements made only in whispers. The state remains our, the state remains. Our enemy is another human. Most do not believe in our cause. Perhaps we are not the winners. Although I would be interested in amplifying those whispers, I do believe that the simple duality encompasses the entirety of human experience 
let alone all of life, or don't believe. What I am definitely interested in is how we expand this story, how we change it, grow it, mutate it, think critically about it, and what effect that has on our lives. But how do we do this? Do we start valuing survival over victory? Do we simply evade our enemies rather than taking them head on? Do we just remove the idea of an enemy entirely? How do we change the story of anarchy, of our, of our lives, from one of light versus dark to something else entirely? Hello, Anarchy Land. This is Ariel here with you to do the topic of the week. And I have on the line with me by my very dear friend, Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. So I will be upfront and say that I have an agenda. I actually invited Drew to do topic of the week with me this week because Drew is one of my favorite storytellers. And the part, the whole thing about this question that I like, thank you, question writer, for this topic of the week, for this excellent question. I love storytelling and I love framing the world in terms of the stories that we tell, the stories we don't tell, and the stories that we could tell. Uh, and so I, and I have been an anarchist for a long time, and part of watching the history of anarchy is watching that those stories change. And Drew has also been an anarchist for a long time. Uh, and what's nice is that Drew and I live in, in entirely different parts of the country with entirely different, like, things going on in our scene. So, Drew, do you want to, yeah. do you want to talk first? Or you want me to talk first? Uh, you can, you can start. That's fine. So kick it off. I'm going to kick it off. I am going to kick it off with while I am incredibly interested in this, I don't have a pat answer for it. One of the things that I have definitely come to a, a really good understanding of and embraced as I have gotten older, as I am now closer to 50 than not, um, is that so much of, of, of what we believe to be true are simply based on the stories that we tell ourselves. The motivations that we assign to people and contexts and the, the picture that we paint that, that is the journey of how we ended up in the moment that we are at. And very often, whether or not that story is deeply rooted in reality or truth is, I don't know, it can be up for grabs. And sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, and so I like that we're looking at the framing of anarchist politics and there's this way, there's not this way. It seems like, it feels like, I'm going to say that it is true that for the most part, anarchists have bought into the classic political model that you pick X. X is a person or a cause or an issue or a belief. You fight for X. You are righteous because you are an anarchist and you either win or you lose. Um, and that framing sucks. And one of the reasons that framing sucks is because with the, it, regardless of what the headlines on IGD says, so very often we're losing. We're always losing. We're losing every day. And that's not going to change. Um, and so 
how do we talk about it differently? How do we not turn us into righteous sanctimonious heroes and everyone else on the other side of some line that makes them a villain and makes them our enemy? Um, how is it not about that classic story of light versus dark, which gets mentioned in the question? Um, how do we change the story of anarchy into one about, uh, I don't know, the lives that we lead, um, the fights well, that we what? fight that are just about the fights in our lives and not necessarily some, you know, battle on a battle lines. I'm not sure. I don't know what the framing I want is, but go, Drew, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I wonder, I wonder, you know, in some ways what's changed from when I first became involved in, in anarchist uh, organizing and anarchist politics 20 years ago. And I think one of the aspects of being an anarchist in the late 90s um, and the early aughts was there was some kind of faith that we place in our counter narrative and that there was a, you know, a mainstream narrative and the mainstream narrative um, was everything that the anti-globalization movement at that time, you know, was organized around. It was the, they called it, I think the movement of movements. Um, and that counter narrative, I don't, feel like anarchists now and I, I don't even really like to say younger anarchists because so many of the anarchists I know at this point in my life are not younger people um, and by that I mean you know say under 25 right um, and so I think that there's maybe some kind of emphasis that shifted over the years into um, the work you know that anarchists organizing, is the thing that um, will make the anarchy happen. But I think one of the things that really guided me as a young person was, and I didn't have the words to articulate it in this way at the time, but was that there was a counter narrative that we believe it, that we believed in. And the counter narrative now from the anarchist milieu, I don't, I don't think I could tell you what it is. Um, I know that there are, counter narratives out there that do motivate people and they're largely in conspiracy land you know they're um <laughs> you see them you know with with every news cycle there's right. some new conspiracy that motivates hundreds thousands tens of thousands of people um generally white people generally on the right wing of politics um into action and you know, in, in this time in which, you know, we, I, I came up in the, in the era of movement of movements and we're now in this era of the crises of crises, you know, um, and we have, we have no counter narrative and, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll kick it back to you with that one. Cause, uh, that's kind of where, where my thinking's been lately. So, I'm going to push at you just a little bit. Okay. Are you saying that what we are against is just as important as what we are for? Well, I mean, I think 
what you're saying there is is the uh, kind of the trap that a lot of anarchists or people involved in in the movement, as it were, felt, <laughs> um, so, which is, you know, I think in, in Occupy, you saw like the Christopher Hedges types come out mm-hmm. and say, you know, you well, we know what we're against, but we have to articulate what we're for. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think like, you know, in the last five years or so, you've seen the rise, especially amongst young people, of really authoritarian political ideologies, the return of authoritarian communism, um, young people getting involved in fascist and nationalist, uh, mostly online, but sometimes real world um, political activities, violent, you know, murderous activities at times. Um, Well, kind of lost my train of thought but um this is like the no one says to like those people you know what what do you stand for we know what they stand for and i think it's it's kind of the way in which the anarchist movement has been um sort of smeared in this way which is that it stood for nothing but it was against everything i think it leaves a lot of things out of consideration i mean there's been a 20-year non-profit uh, industrial complex attack on anarchist organizing and then autonomous organizing, meaning that, you know, the things that anarchists used to do that looked like social programs are now by and large, um, the property of the non-profiteers because you can get paid to do something like food, not bombs, or you can get paid to do free breakfast programs, you know? So it takes uh, a lot of the, um, the ability to offer to propose something away from anarchists and so what you end up with is you know an anarchist movement that is full of critique but anything that it can propose to do that looks like some sort of like social safety net or some sort of social program has been totally co-opted by nonprofits. i think the inability of anarchists to offer something that comes out of our politics is especially when you know for there'd been a, a track record of 20 years before that of anarchists offering these kind of these projects whether it be the more accessible things like uh food not bombs or there were experiments like the really really free market even though that maybe had limited uh uh generated would generate limited, limited interest amongst regular people um, there's just not a lot of room um, for anarchists to offer uh, kind of like the kind of organizing that might create like or be a part of a counter narrative. And so when all you have is just critique, 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 that's all that's left. And I think anarchists are in this place where you have authoritarians on the right and the left um, coming back from this like pre postmodern pre neoliberal uh world where they're offering like stone cold ideology and okay. uh, that means you know mass graves you know for dissidents and mass graves for the enemy um and in a time in which we're in these crisis this crisis of crises um there's something about that uh that ugly easy answer that appeals to people as a counter narrative. 
again, I, I just wonder what, what is the anarchist counter narrative now? Cause it's not, I mean, IGD is certainly like a hub for news actions, et cetera, but there, the ideas and the action aren't really there. There's nothing that kind of gels them together. Right. Like there's a lot of kind of different actions on IGD from a lot of different ideological sources and not all of them are anarchists either. Mm -hmm. That's true. So yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I guess like, you know, the last political project I was in, um, having a story and a narrative was really important to us. Mm -hmm. And we did want to craft one that was around winning and, and not winning in some hollow or, um, kind of like a, you know, we had a superstition that we could win because it was our myth, you know, Mm -hmm. but really trying to think about things in a way, um, in which we could engage people and, maybe do things a little differently from some of the anarchist organizing we'd done before. And I'm saying this without going into too much specifics as to what the project was, but yeah, sure. um, to keep it, you know, kind of so, plan, that was, yeah, yeah, that was, that was something that, that guided us. And so um, when it comes to, you know, this era of like conspiracy theory and counter narratives on the right and counter narratives from authoritarians, um, maybe that's the place anarchists need to be brainstorming as to where our counter narrative is. Where does it exist? Uh-huh. And I think, I think for some people it does exist in a small sense, but, um, you know, as you said, when, when you introduced me, I mean, we come from very different parts of the country with very different, you know, local dynamics uh-huh. and, you know, that informs how, how you and I both think. And so maybe there's some sort of counter narrative that doesn't need to be a national anarchist counter narrative. It's something local. Um, yeah. So, well, I don't think it's possible for it to be a national anarchist counter narrative because we don't, well, let's be careful how we say national anarchist. Let's be careful how we say national anarchist, um, (laughs) an anarchist narrative on a, uh, countrywide scale. Is that, is that American American anarchism. Aragorn used to describe like my project as something of like some American eccentricities, you know. Which <laughs> I, I was like, that, well, that sounds just like quintessentially American, you know. It's just America's America was the place when there was a protest. It was like farmers driving their tractors down mm-hmm. like you know the National Mall in DC. Right, yeah. It was always like kind of some weird shit. It wasn't you know. Like the the farmers put on helmets and took giant sticks and went and fought the police, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Let's celebrate the eccentricities. Uh, uh, yes. This. Uh, just you. You went there first. Uh, this topic of the week made <laughs> made me miss Aragorn very much. It felt like it was it was written for him to talk about. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, I. What do I want to? What What did you poke? What did you prodded? And you made me want to. Okay. Maybe conspiracy or. <laughs> God, oh my God. I'm I'm totally um, down to talk about conspiracy. <laughs> I believe that you live in a land that's far more conspiracy saturated than the land that I live in. Um, so I get conspiracy through my housemates' amusement and fascination with it. I don't actually have to deal with it directly. Uh, but what? 
do I want to say? I, I don't feel like I have gotten a sense of a intentional or comprehensive narrative out of the anarchist projects in the Bay that I have encountered over the last, let's say, five years. Um, I think part of that is because doing anything in the Bay is so hard. And you very quickly, you have an idea, you have the people you're going to work on the idea with, and then everything very quickly becomes about the work. And I think that often that the more, I don't, I don't what's the word that I want? The, the, the part that is laying the ground, the part that is where you sit and you brainstorm and you have those conversations and you figure out what it is that you're doing and how you talk about it and how, I think that that sometimes gets left behind because there's so much work to do just to be able to get to the work because resources are so scarce, people, time, spaces, everything costs so much. Um, you know, the, the, the travel time is so much more expensive here than it is where you are. Um, and so I guess this is a long way of saying that I think that I agree that we have, I think that I agree, I'm hedging. I was talking about hedging today. I feel like I'm hedging. I don't know why. I agree that we have less of a sense of our own story about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I'm not sure that we are being intentional about presenting a counter narrative at all anymore. Other mm -hmm. than, you know, the big overarching story of the great evil that is state and capital and oppression. Um, mm -hmm. Which it's not that that's wrong. It's just that, you know, what do you do with the monster that's big enough to eat the world and destroy it? You know, I don't know. Hope it doesn't. Hope it doesn't notice your world. So, um, that's, I, I, it's not really as compelling. No, no. It's it, you know, and I think like what you just were saying kind of made me think about was, you know, part of the thing about this the rise of, of I, authoritarian ideologies is that it doesn't really ask much in in the form of a contribution from its participants, like. Uh, what what you are acting upon, the ideas that you are acting upon, are the ideas of great men, and they've been decided upon long ago, and millions have died to guarantee the ideas of these great men exist. Oh, and this is <laughs> <laughs> what's that? No, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, and and th that's always the the dilemma that anarchists have faced is that. You know, if you talk about storytelling and it's like, oh, do you have faith in your own voice, of your own narrative voice and your own storytelling? And most people don't, you know, I mean, it's a kind of a nerve wracking thing to even do these kind of interviews because you have to stand behind the words you say as you're thanking them, as you're in this, you know, interview kind of format where you have to draw upon what you know and how much you really want to say, you know, and all of these things. And and well, and the, the internet isn't very forgiving. So, you know, you... No, the internet's you, right? unforgiving. Right? And so so it's you a, either... You get if a, you misstep, it's... You're dead forever with a right. headstone. 
Right. If you, you know. misstep, it doesn't get to be a misstep. It's you meant that shit and you mean it. And and yeah. and then the don't other part that. is that it's forever. You don't ever get to change right. your mind. You don't ever get to think anything else. That one idea, right. that word, that sound bite, that line, like that's associated with you for forever. And that is now who you are till you die. Um, right. Right. And and so that's I mean, you know. Other than in that's, some format that's going to be almost immediately forgotten, like a tweet or an Instagram post, who wants to do that? Who sure. wants to be subject to that? Better to just rest, you know, your uh, your concerns on the hundred and fifty year old writings of <laughs> you know, fill in the blank. It's not know. me. It was Peter. Peter. It's Peter. He did it. And that's, and who even would, you know, I, I mean, I almost feel bad for anyone who's like, you know, I, I'd just like to pull out Peter Kropotkin at this point, because <laughs> it, it's not even, you know, I, I'm, it, it, in, in, in the great, you know, ideologues of modern history, I mean, mm-hmm. Peter Kropotkin, while important to us, is not, you know, not someone that even most political ideologues could name, you know, of any other stripe. Anarchists, we can name like the left ideologues, the right ideologues, the, you know, the American and democratic political thinkers. And you ask anyone from any of those other stripes, like who was Prince Peter Kropotkin? It's like, who? Who? (laughs) So I think, you know, that challenge of, of storytelling, that challenge of creating a counter narrative, it, it comes down to us. And what kind of stories we want to tell, what we believe in. And if we believe, you know, in a sense, in our narrative voice to construct a compelling counter narrative. Um, or, here's the or here, we have constructed counter narratives. They've been absorbed by other political tendencies that are not us and have become master narratives. <laughs> And because we don't claim some of our ideas and some of our actions as our property, um, they become the property of much more powerful political machines that claim it and move on. Oh my God, Drew, are you getting situationist on me? Oh, I'm so (laughs) excited right now. (laughs) This conversation's just gone on that long. Okay, so in the spirit of how long the conversation has gone on, I do my best uh, whenever I have these conversations to make sure that I touch back to the topic of the week because someone worked hard to bring us this topic. Um, And there is a question in here that I want us to kick around just a little bit before we go. Uh, Mm -hmm. At the end, in the last paragraph, it says... uh, What I am definitely interested in is how we expand this story, how we change it, grow it, mutate it, think critically about it, and what effect that has on our our lives. But how do we do this? Do we start valuing survival over victory? Now, I'm not going to claim that I actually entirely understand what the writer means by that, but what do you think about that? I, I think what's interesting about the counter narratives that we're witnessing play out right now is that they are appeals to the very survival of mm-hmm. the people articulating them. Yep. Even though the most casual observer could look at where most of the people are coming from, demanding that they want to get their hair cut or nails done or 
whatever, you could, you know, easily take a look and say that it's obviously a fabrication. It's obviously like, you know, you, you know, aside from how these, these events, these gatherings have been astroturfed, these reopening yeah. uh, protests, but, you know, you see the people involved and what their narrative is and it's nonsense, but it appeals to someone. And, and I'm not advocating that anarchists should construct lies and anarchists should construct sure. half truths or, sure. you know, these extremely selfish narratives about forcing workers back to work so you can get a pedicure or something. Um, however, these are the counter narratives that are thriving in some way in the cultural and political imagination right now. So maybe the exercise there is what is the anarchist survival counter narrative? And I don't know that I have, I don't know that I have an answer to that, but perhaps that's the, that, that anarchy land, my dear listeners is our gift to you. Uh, And maybe, maybe people can roll that around and, and send that back to us. Uh, Well, this has uh, been an absolute delight, Drew. Thank you for giving me some of your precious time and having a conversation with me. You bet. And and, uh, yeah, here's, I hope everyone is, is sheltering and uh, agitating and being angry and taking care of themselves. Uh, And here's, here's to anarchy. Here's to anarchy. Talk to you later, anarchy land. Bye. podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. We thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week. Winners? Losers? To learn more anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackcart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room linked on Anews. The moment is yours, and agony.